Hello, I'm Derek Walker. I'm the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church, and today I want to share with you about Christ in the Song of Solomon. Uh, this book claims to be the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. The, in other words, the greatest of all love poems. Uh, some people wonder how this romantic, even erotic poetry can even make it into the Bible. What could it possibly tell us about God? Well, of course, first of all, God, through this book, is affirming the growing love between a man and a woman and the sexual relationship between a husband and a wife. And even for the first time, their, their wedding night uh, in chapter 4 finishes with God's vote of approval. In chapter 5, verse 1, God says, Eat, O friends, drink. Yes, drink abundantly, O beloved. And, and he's talking about him approving their, their sexual love together. And so this song actually upholds sex within marriage. It is against sex outside marriage. In fact, a re repeating refrain in chapter 2, 7, 3, 5, 5, 1, and 8, 4 is this. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you stir not up, nor awaken love, that is sexual passion, until it please. In other words, until the right time. He says you can stir it up too soon. And, and in this ideal romance, what is going on is a growing love that the relationships are allowed to grow in its right time as they open up to each other and reveal themselves more and more. And, and the problem that applies to sex that comes in too soon is that it, it, it can get in the way of that process and, and then it becomes just about the physical aspect and the growing intimacy is stopped. And, and so... This couple hold themselves back until they're married, P letting love develop in its right time, in right way, is one of the themes of the song. That way they get to know each other as who they are, rather than just something physical. In chapter 1 verse 3 is a lovely line where she describes how she's come to know and fall in love with him. He's, she says, your name, that is your character, your reputation is as ointment poured forth. Therefore do the virgins love you. In other words, he says, it, we love you because that you've shown yourself, your character. Now, it's important that you get to know the person that you're going to marry, you know, uh, before you marry them. You need to know, number one, that they're a believer. And number two, you need to know that they're of good character. And... Uh, that way, you will avoid a world of pain and trouble. Well, the issues highlighted in chapter 8, verse 8, where they visit her family while they're on honeymoon. The, the, the brothers remember discussing how they would guard her as they're, grow, as they're growing up. And they say, we've got a little sister. This is a flashback. And she has no breasts. In other words, she's just entering puberty. What shall we do for our sister in the day she's spoken for? In other words, how can we prepare her for her marriage day? And then they make their decision in verse 9. If she's a wall, in other words, if she knows how to keep the boys away from her private parts, then we will build upon her battlements of silver. We'll trust her, we'll let her wear some jewellery and so forth. But if she's a door, that is, if she's loose, easily swinging open to let men in, then we will enclose her with boards of cedar. In other words, we'll make sure she doesn't open up too soon. We'll protect her. Um, now, she describes herself in verse 10. She says, I 
am a wall. I was a wall. In other words, she was a virgin. She didn't open up until the right time. And she says, my breasts now, like towers, they're fully developed, and yet she remained a virgin. And then, he says, I, she says, I became uh, in his eyes as one who found peace. In other words, she gained his respect and admiration and favor. And so, if we want to understand the song, of course we have to understand it in its plain meaning as a romance between a man and a woman and God's affirmation of that. And God saying, I created that, it's good. And it's not something to be abused. But I want to take it further today because I want you to realize you can read this song spiritually as well because it's a picture. And in the Bible, there's this picture comes again and again that the marriage, the closest relationship that, that, that we can have on earth is used by God as a picture of the intimate love between God and his people, between Christ and his church. And so we can learn a lot about our spiritual love relationship with the Lord. The marriage is a divine romance. Sorry, the Bible, the story of redemption is a divine romance. The Bible starts with the marriage of Adam and Eve. It finishes with the marriage of Christ and the church. We are the bride of Christ. He's the bridegroom. And, and why does God use this example? It's because he wants us to know that he loves us with a passionate love, not just a kind of disinterested love. He's the lover of our soul, and he wants to have the closest possible fellowship with us. In redemption, in a way, he did the romantic thing, as, as in romantic stories, there's often impossible barriers between the two lovers to get together, and yet in redemption, Christ removed every barrier between him and his bride so that he could be with us forever. That's how much he loved us. And so this is the heart of the message of the Bible, and right in the heart of the Bible is this song revealing God's heart. So many consider it the holy of holies of Scripture um, among the Jewish rabbis, certainly because it reveals God's ultimate purpose and desire to have that loving, that deep, that intense fellowship with us. Now in the song, Solomon is the groom. Solomon means peace and he was the, the reigned in peace. And he's the picture of Jesus, the, the Prince of Peace, who will reign forever. That He is the son of David also, a title for Christ who is the greater son of David. And he chooses a bride. Shulamith is the name of the bride. Uh, a picture of the church, and that also means peace in the, the feminine form. And so they are well matched for each other. But when you first of all try to start to read the song, it can seem disjointed and confusing, like a lot of pieces in a jigsaw puzzle. You know, y you have to understand the overall picture first, and then everything will fit together fine. So let me give you that overall story, and then it will all start to make sense. It's a romance between Solomon and Shulamith. The main problem in understanding this is that there seem to be two, two men interested in this one girl. One of them seems to be a lowly shepherd, and the other is the king, Solomon himself. And uh, are these two men, or are they simply uh, one man dressed in two and fulfilling two different roles? This was the same question that Israel had when looking for her Messiah, because many prophecies described him as the suffering servant, the good shepherd who would lay down his life for his sheep. And the other prophecies showed him as the majestic king, 
And many thought there were going to be two messiahs, and yet we know it's one messiah, but yet in two comings. He presents himself in two ways. And we've got exactly the same thing going on here. His first coming, he's clothed in humility. His second coming, he will be clothed in power and glory. Praise God. And in this song, Solomon is both the shepherd lover and the king. Now, let me tell you the story. Let me cap it, recap it for you. Shulamith, the girl, lives with her mother and two brothers in the countryside. And she's the only daughter, and they've inherited from the father a vineyard each. And uh, she works hard in the vineyards. And she's, first of all, she sees herself just as an ordinary girl. In chapter 2, verse 1, she says, I'm a rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. You know, that's not a title for Christ. That's actually what she says about herself. These are beautiful but very simple little flowers. In other words, she sees herself as an ordinary girl, but Solomon sees her differently. And he's seen a lot of beauty. In verse 2, he answers, Like a lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. Now, a lily is not just a lily of the valley. A lily is a glorious flower. There's more DNA in the lily than anything. And so he says, in my eyes, you're special, you're wonderful, you're beautiful. And then he says in 1.8, he says, O fairest, most beautiful among women. And 1.15, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Now that's how the Lord sees you. He sees you as special, as uniquely beautiful and precious to him. He loves you. Now, she was a virtuous girl. She was keeping herself for a right man. And what's happening now is that King Solomon takes a break from his royal duties in, in Jerusalem, goes into the country for a holiday to inspect his vineyards and the her his herds of sheep. His father David was a shepherd, and I'm sure he learnt shepherding from his father. And, and just like our royal family, they like to have a holiday in the country, change of scenery. And one of his bases was Megiddo, a chariot city that was very near the vi village of Shunem, where this girl lived. And so he was in walking distance from her home. So the romance starts one day as he is walking through uh, by the village, by her vineyard, dressed just as an ordinary shepherd. He comes across her in working hard, and he's immediately attracted to her. She's never seen the king. They didn't have photos in those days. So she doesn't know who, who he really is. And now we have the classic romantic plot. The rich king comes dressed as an ordinary man with his majesty veiled. And he falls for an ordinary girl. And this way, he deliberately does not reveal himself to her immediately because he wants her to get to know him and to love him for who he is himself, not for his wealth or his power. And that's why he presents himself like that. And... Um, in due course, you know, first of all, when she asks more about him, he's a bit evasive. But in due course, of course, he tells her who he is. But he isn't coming across in force and power to force her. To, then she'd be forced to submit, but there wouldn't be any love relationship there. Well, later on, he will reveal himself to her and make her his queen. and She will rule and reign with him. Well, they get to know each other, and one day... He finds her resting under an apple tree outside the home, and here they fall in love. He declares his love for her, and he awakens 
her love. And they have a wonderful courtship in the countryside and in their, in, in their conversation they're using all the images from the countryside around them. For example, she says to him, Behold, you're handsome, my beloved. Verse 16, yes, pleasant. Also, our bed is green. They're lying together in the grass. And the beams of our houses are cedar. It's the trees. And our rafters are fir. In chapter 2, verse 3, she says, like an apple tree among the trees of the wood. That's what you're like. So is my beloved among the sons. In other words, you're strong. You're fruitful. You give me shade from the heat of the day. That's what a, a man should do. And so he says, I sat down in, under his shade with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. And what a wonderful picture that is of us resting under Christ, eating the good, his fruit, and uh, being under the shadow of his wings. Eventually, he would have proposed to her, and he would have revealed who he really was. Can you imagine that? She, you know, he would have said, guess what? I'm King Solomon. Now, normally, she would have just laughed that out of court, but by now, she had got to know him, she got to trust him, she got to love him, and she was able to believe him, even though he was just dressed as a shepherd. She has to take him at his word, and they become betrothed to one another, making vows, covenant vows to each other of undying love. And then Solomon said, well, I've got to return now to Jerusalem and prepare the wedding feast and the marital home for you. And that's the Jewish custom. And then he says, when, when everything's ready, I'm going to come again and fetch you to be my wife. And at that moment, the bridegroom then would come after a few months in a great procession. And he would come and he would fetch her and take her to be with him forever. And they would be married. All right, well, meanwhile, she has to trust him and take him at his word and get ready for that great day. To when he'll take her to be his wife. Just imagine then the reaction when she told her friends and family, you know that young man I've been spending a lot of time with? Well, how can I say this? It's King Solomon. He proposed to me and I said yes. And He returned to Jerusalem, but he's going to come back soon and he's going to take me to be his wife and I'm going to be the queen. Can you imagine their response? They really thought she had lost it. She had lost touch with reality. She was in a fantasy world. And so they decided to give her a dose of reality. They put her out to work hard in the vineyards. And she complains in the song about how she's got all tanned and her skin got all rough compared to the ladies in court because uh, she had been put out in the sun. Uh, but they were trying to get her feet back on the ground. They knew the king wouldn't be interested in simple folk like them. Well, at last Solomon returns, but this time it's not as the shepherd, but as the king. Dressed in his glory, a wedding procession is described in Solomon chapter 3, verse 6. It says, who's, basically, who's coming out of the wilderness like pillars of smoke with perfume? It's Solomon and his couch, and there's 60 mighty men, his bodyguard all around her. Uh, him. And uh, it describes he's in a magnificent kind of panaquin. Uh, made of silver, gold, purple. And uh, as they all look, they see who is coming. It's the king, of course. He's come for her. And all the friends and family can't believe it as he actually comes right up to her door, crosses the threshold and carries her away with him. Yes, that one, that shepherd lover, 
was, was indeed the king. And they go back to Jerusalem and they have a, a celebration banquet. And as they arrive in Jerusalem, verse 11 says, Go forth, you daughters of Zion, seeking Solomon on the day with his crown, on the day of his wedding, the day of the gladness of his heart. So they arrive back in Jerusalem and the song now opens with her sitting at the table on the first day of the wedding feast. And she's sitting with the girlfriends, with the, with, with the, the daughters of Jerusalem. And of course, what, they, what do they talk about? They want to know how they met, how, how, the, how was the dating, all about that. And so she tells the story of, of how they fell in love and, and, and the waiting time. And uh, also looking forward to their first night together in chapter 4. Now, that is an amazing romantic story but it's a picture of our romance with the Lord you see Jesus is our bridegroom and he left his throne in the heavenly Jerusalem and he took off his his kingly clothes and he came down among us dressed like a dressed as a man his majesty was veiled that was his first coming he came as the good shepherd who loves us and gave his life for us he didn't come in power and glory to force us to bow the knee to him. No, because he didn't want the relationship to be on that basis. He wanted it to be on the basis of grace and love. That we would know him. That he would show his love for us by dying for us. And that we would fall in love with him. And then, of course, we will get to know him also as the king of kings. And we will gladly bow to him. And we do gladly bow to him. But notice he comes. And... The response to his character is to love him. She says, your name is as ointment poured forth. Therefore, do the virgins love you. That's why we love him, because he died for us on the cross, not because he overpowers us. And Solomon said in chapter 8, verse 5, when he looked back, he says, under the apple tree, I await your love. Do you realize Jesus declared his love for us under the tree of Calvary? He said, this is how much I love you. And the tree of life was actually an apple tree. Not the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but the tree of life was an apple tree, a type of the cross. And if we eat its fruit, we have eternal life. And that's where we received his love and we were reborn. Remember she said, you are like the apple tree among the trees of the wood. You are a tree of life to me, she says. So is my beloved. I sat down under his shadow with great delight and his fruit was sweet to my taste. See, Jesus, by his death for us, is now our tree of life and he offers us protection and peace from the struggles of life and we can sit under the, his shadow and we can eat his fruit, the fruit of the spirit, in abundance. He brought me to the banqueting house and his banner over me is love. And just like G Solomon revealed his identity, so before he went away, Jesus revealed that I'm not just this good shepherd, I'm also the king, I'm the Messiah, and I'm coming back in power and glory. And we take him at his word, don't we? You see, he wooed her. He declared his love for us, for her. And Jesus wooed us. He came for a bride. And he won our heart. And he said, I'm going to come back, and if you accept me, he proposed to us, and if you have accepted Jesus, you've accepted his proposal, you're betrothed to him, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. You're betrothed to him, you see, and he is coming back for you one day soon. And you're going to take 
you'll be, as it were, married, and he, you will be the queen. You will rule and reign with him, praise God. But the betrothal is when they declare their vows of undying love, and that's what you do when you accept Jesus. You say, Jesus, you're my Lord, you're my Savior, you're my husband. I will love you forever. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I trust you for my eternal life. They make a covenant commitment to each other. These are the words they said to each other. Um, in, it says in, in chapter, um, uh, in the song, uh, chapter 8, verse 5, set me as a seal on your heart, as a signet ring on your arm. In other words, keep me close to your heart forever. My love is as strong as death. I'm ready to die for you. My jealousy unrelenting as shale, its flames are a flames of fire, the passionate flame of the Lord. In other words, I'll never let you go. God's love for you is passionate. He's jealous over you. Many waters can't quench love, neither can the floods drown it. In other words, whatever happens in life, I will still love you. Nothing can separate us from God's love. And if a man shall offer all the wealth of his house for love, it will be utterly despised. You are more valuable to me than anything else. These are the words Christ says to us and that we should say to him to say, I put you first. That's my commitment to you. And so that's Christ's first coming. And at that time, Jesus, of course, ascended to heaven. He said he's preparing a place for us, but soon he's going to come again in the rapture. And in the rapture is the great wedding procession when Jesus comes back, our bridegroom, is coming back to fetch his bride and then we will be forever with him. And we will reign and rule with him. And in between the first and second comings is the waiting period. See, right now we can't see him. We have to just trust his promise that he's coming back for us, that he is the king. And we have to prepare ourselves so that we're ready for him when he comes back. And then we will reign with him forever. And the world around us, like her friends and families, they might mock us, they might laugh at us for believing the promise of Jesus Christ. But we have joy in our heart because we know that he's faithful and he is coming back for us. Well, she rejoiced in the hope of that wonderful reunion. And so, as you can imagine, as the procession approached and she saw him face to face, the joy that filled her heart to realize the what this is the one that loved me. He has come back for me. And she rejoiced as, as he carried her in his arms. Hallelujah. And so this song is a revelation of God's love for us. And it shows how we should respond in love to him. It's designed to lead us into a deeper and more passionate relationship with the Lord. Let me just pick out in closing a few uh, of, of the insights from that. Song 2.14, he says to her, O oh my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the cliff, let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. You see, Christ is the rock split open for us. And when we go into the cleft of the rock, when we trust in his death for us, in his love for us, then he is able to speak to us and draw us into ever closer fellowship. He, he, he first of all says to us, let me see your face. In other words, for your face is lovely. I want to see you. Don't turn away from me. I want you to put your face toward me. 
Don't hide from me. Come to me. Let me see your face. Your face is lovely. Let me hear your voice. Let me hear your worship, your praise, your prayers. I love to hear your voice. Your voice is sweet to me, he says. And he, uh, he encourages us to draw close to him. Well, this song shows us that our relationship to Christ is based on grace and love. She says, chapter 2, verse 4, his banner over me is love. My be- and sh- verse 16, my beloved is mine and I am his. In other words, he's given himself completely to me. He's mine and also I give myself completely to him in response. He is mine and I am his. And uh, she says that um, my own, she, she describes in chapter 8, verse 11 and 12 that her relationship is not one of duty, that she has to pay him rent, but she freely gives what she has to him. Well, another thing that it shows is the result of the new birth. We need to know who we are, that we are made righteous by the grace of God. Remember she said um, in verse one, verse, chapter 1, verse 5, she says, I am black, unworthy, as the rough tents of Kedar. She knew what she was like on the outside. But, she says, I am comely as the curtains of Solomon. She says, on the outside I might seem rough, but on the inside God has done a work of grace in me and I'm beautiful on the inside and the glory of God lives on the inside. That's the picture of the new birth. He says, you're like a lily to me. Praise God. And, And so if we know that we are the righteousness of God in Christ, we can come boldly into the presence of God and have close fellowship with us. And then it describes the close fellowship as a kiss. Chapter 1, verse 2 says, Let him kiss me with the kiss of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. He says, she says, a kiss, you see, is a face-to-face encounter. She says that we are to desire him to kiss us. In other words, she compares it to drinking wine. We're to come in face-to-face with him, and we are to love him, but also we are to receive back from, from him. Let drink in his love. Drink in the wine of his spirit. That's the, the face-to-face kiss that she desires. We are to desire that. Let him kiss me with a kiss of his mouth, for your love is better than drinking wine. When it says, he brought me to his banqueting house, literally it's the house of wine. He brought me to his house of wine, and his banner over me is love. In other words, he wants to pour the wine of his love into you. And, and he wants you to drink of the wine of his spirit, to be filled with his spirit, to, to receive his love poured out to you in abundance. Praise God. Draw me after you. Verse 4 says, she says, draw me after you and let us run together. Bring me, O king, into your chambers. We are to respond to Christ's love. And to pray and say, Lord, draw me closer to you. Let, me, let us run together into your chambers. Let's have fellowship together. I pray that that's inspired you to go deeper into the Song of Solomon and to discover an exciting relationship with the Lord.